0: Isn't it amazing to celebrate God's goodness over so many years? And uh, it's important we look back and we honour where God has been at work. But it's also important that we look forward and prepare our hearts for what is about to happen. And uh, we're going to pray together in a moment. Just stay standing for one moment. I just um, personally, before I preach the word, just want to say a massive thank you to... Pastor Wayne and Pastor Lynn, uh, Simone and I love you dearly and uh, we honour you and uh, not just you guys but also John and Francine and Sean and Linda and the team. The last two years seen an amazing window and glimpse into what these pillars of our movement have carried for many years and I really do believe that the Lord has anointed grace and given them the, the, the vision and the focus to be able to bring restoration realignment and refocus to our movement and we are in the best season of our movement that we've ever seen because of the generational anointing that has come upon leaders and upon pillars at the national executive level at the national office Jeffrey, Daryl, and the team can we please put our hands together and honour these amazing men and women of God we love you, we honour you And it's a privilege to bring the word here tonight. Who's ready for the word tonight? I said, who's hungry for the word tonight? Who's hungry for an encounter? So come on, why don't you lift your hands? Let's turn this into a prayer meeting right now. Why don't you lift your voice all across this room right now? Why don't you lift your heavenly language right now? Let's just dial it up a little bit. Let's dial it up. In fact, a whole lot more. Come on, all across this room right now oh we welcome your holy spirit tonight father we thank you for your presence we thank you oh god that in every generation you are moving you are saving you're restoring you're transforming and god tonight we ask would you do it again you did it 40 years ago we're asking you to do it again tonight and so lord i i declare lord an open heaven over this arena tonight I declare and open a heaven over every church, every ministry, every man, woman, boy and girl. Father, we pray right now for the spirit of revival to break out in this room tonight. We are asking, oh God, that our hunger, our prayers, our worship, oh God, would move your heart. Oh Lord, we ask, tear the heavens open. Let your presence come down. That mountains may quake in your presence, oh God. Lord, we are so hungry. We are so expectant. Father, we just thank you that, Lord, tonight, you're not just in the wind and the fire, but you're in the still small voice. God, would you come and speak into every heart. Lord, even beyond what I say, oh God, Lord, would you come and reveal Jesus to us tonight. Holy Spirit, I'm asking that you would come and cut off what needs to be cut off. God, that you would come and comfort, Lord, where there's been affliction. God, that you would come and exhort and encourage and inspire. Lord, we're asking for a spirit of prophecy to invade this room tonight. We're asking, and I thank you, Lord, that you've shown me, Lord, tonight sick bodies are going to be healed in Jesus' name. Cancers are going to disappear tonight in Jesus' name. And Father, I pray right now that we would lift our expectation. God, that the day of miracles is not over. And Father, we just pray right now, Jesus, I thank you. You hear my prayer, you answer my prayers, would you come? Move amongst us, Jesus, walk amongst us. Holy Spirit, stir our apathy and turn it into an appetite for you, O God. Forgive us of our complacency, our self-absorption, O God. And bring us closer to the flame tonight, Jesus. Pour your spirit out upon this nation. Pour your spirit out upon every church. Pour your spirit out across Oceania. Pour your spirit out across the nations, oh God, represented in this room tonight. And so, Lord, I pray by the time we finish tonight, walk out, oh God, we would be different. We would be transformed. Renew our minds, transform our hearts. We honor you, we love you. In Jesus' name, if you believe it. Come on, put your hands together. Just honor the Lord right now. He is so good. Hey, as you get seated, just say hello to a few people around you. Tell them to get ready for the word tonight. And you can grab a seat. I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Zechariah chapter 10 verse 1. We're going to go to the prophet Zechariah, chapter 10, verse 1. This conference has been amazing. It's been such an honor to serve our movement uh, for many years, but particularly these last two years. And I thought Pastor Wayne just preached an absolute cracker last night and really prepared our hearts for all that was to come. And Pastor Ali this morning and I loved communion, the Lord's table together. What a powerful moment. So many a significant moments in God, and 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 often when we're in this space and environment, we, we put a filter up based upon our ministries, our churches, our experiences, and and preachers are often the most difficult people to preach to because we've got all of our filters up. Can I encourage you? Just let the filters go tonight. Just open up your heart to receive. God doesn't want us to evaluate Him, He wants us to experience Him. And the prophet Zechariah, in chapter 10, verse 1, the Lord, and he was inspired by the Spirit, God spoke through him and said, Ask rain from the Lord in the season of the spring rain. The New King James Version says, Ask rain from the Lord in the day of the latter rain. From the Lord who makes the storm clouds. and He will give them showers of rain. To everyone, the vegetation in the field. New King James says, grass will be in everyone's field. I want to speak to you tonight on the subject, it's time for revival. If you were to give this another title, you could say, you can have more if you want it. You can have more if you want it. You know, August 28th, of last year will forever be known as Super Bowl Sunday at Numa Church. In the lead up to that day, our church, like many churches, was mobilized around prayer. And for us, we were particularly mobilized around Psalm 85 6 through COVID and coming out of COVID. Psalm 85 6 says, God, will you not revive us again so that your people may rejoice in you? And there was this cry in our hearts, God, we thank you for what you've done 98 years ago in our church. We thank you, oh God, for what you've done in the broader movement of the ACC many decades ago. But God, we, we need a fresh move of your spirit in our generation. Will you not revive us again, O oh God, that your people may rejoice in you. And our whole church was mobilized around prayer in all of its forms and It was on August 28th after an incredible encounter at our revival conference on the Sunday at midday during our second service, a guest ministry had just opened up the altars for prayer and I quickly darted out to the restroom. And as I walked out of the restroom and down the side tunnel of our church facility in Richmond, I prayed a simple prayer. God, will you father me at a deeper level? I didn't ask God for revival in that moment. I didn't ask that he would fill me with his spirit. I had a revelation of the Father heart of God. I I preached the Father heart of God. I've experienced the Father's love, but there was this cry within his son, God, will you father me at a deeper level? No sooner had I walked 10 meters than the Holy Spirit stopped me and he said, are you serious about that? And I said, yes, sir, I'm not content at this place. How many of us are not simply content with what God did do in our lives, but we're hungry for a new move of the Spirit? And I said, God, will you father me? Whatever that means. No uh, less than five minutes later, as I entered the auditorium and began to work with our team to pray for people and minister to people. The only way I can describe it is that I had the single greatest God encounter of my life where it was like being blasted with a Holy Ghost canon where every faculty of my body was totally overwhelmed. And I don't know about you, but I like to be in control of my faculties. Does anybody else like to be in control of their faculties? But it was a moment where I was so immersed in the presence of God, so overwhelmed, that there was literally nothing that I could do in that moment but go with the wind of the Spirit. When I eventually came to, with the help of three people, to the platform, True Story, the first words out of my mouth were the words, I've got a confession to make. Now, I found out at the end of the day that my wife, when she heard those words, her heart sank because she thought in front of 900 people in the auditorium, I was going to confess some scandalous sin to the entire congregation. But the next words out of my mouth was, I repent of man-made control. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I had preached that passage of scripture. I'd read that many times, but in that moment on that day, I knew what it meant in that moment. That from that day forward for the rest of my life, it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And as I declared that out of my mouth, holy pandemonium broke out across the congregation. And for the next 12 hours, we witness and experience the greatest mass outpouring of repentance and healings and baptisms in the Spirit and deliverances and salvations. One service just went into the other. No one left, people only came. They got on the phone and were ringing people on their holidays. You need to get back to church. Revival has broken out on this day. Eight months on and what feels like now, 38,000 revival services later, a wave of hundreds of miracles has overwhelmed our church. Some of those notable miracles has been 11 cancer patients confirmed with scans have been totally healed and transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. One of them even in this room, Pastor Rob Morris, our global mission pastor, had four lesions on his lung. He, he couldn't walk from here to there in our office without stopping for five to ten minutes to recover his breath. We were talking about what his future would look like, when the doctors told him he only would have months to live. He let his family know, but because we stood in the gap and believed that the day of miracles is not over after we prayed those lesions left his body and now he's traveling the world preaching the gospel and leading leaders and training leaders we had a father bring down a jacket for his daughter that had a tumor on the brain and his daughter couldn't be at the service so he said would you come and pray and anoint this jacket and he tells us after the fact that he took the jacket to his daughter. She didn't even put it on, she touched it, but they went back for an MRI and the tumor had disappeared from her brain. We had a man that had no optic nerve in his left eye, completely blind, Three surgeries to try and correct Uh, His eye and and nothing was working. We prayed for him two days later, walking downtown Chinatown. His left eye opened in Jesus' name. He started to scream at the top of his voice. And so to test it, we got him back to church on Sunday and got him to use his now open eye to read the book of Leviticus. And everybody knows if you can read Leviticus with what was a once blind eye. It is a miracle in Jesus' name. We've seen deaf ears open multiple crutches left at the altar. We've seen Catholic priests get baptised in the Holy Spirit. We've seen closet Anglican vicars come and encounter the river of God's Spirit. We've seen lost prodigals come home. We've seen lives transformed. I want to tell somebody today, the day of signs and wonders is well and truly here. Have you ever been to a restaurant where... You ordered several things off the menu and they told you you can't have those things. I remember one time I went to a restaurant and I had to, I ordered three things and they said, no, nah, that's not available. No, nah, that's not. And I'm like, well, you tell me what I can order or else I'm going down the road. And I began to think about it. It's amazing to me the lengths that some Christians will go to to try to convince the rest of the church that the day of miracles is over. It's amazing the lengths that people will go to to tell us that miracles are no longer on the menu, but you tell that man who had a fractured patella and came down the front and he was hobbling on a crutch but he started to do laps around the building I'm here to tell you you can still order miracles because they're still on the menu when all of this was breaking out I had pastors ring me and text me and some of them were there when it happened and they're like how are you gonna sustain this and I said, i got no idea. And anyone who thinks they do know how to sustain it, they're lying. Come out, you lying spirit. I had no idea. And so I went to the Lord and I said, Father, how, how am I going to sustain this? He said, wrong question. You didn't start it. So you don't have to sustain it. He said, I started it. All you need to do is you need to remain in me and you need to steward what I have started in my house. Can I just tell somebody today, it's not your business, it's not your house, it's still the Father's house. And he wants his house back. He wants to fill his house with his presence. Yes. Hallelujah. What did the prophet say in verse 1? The prophet said, ask God for rain in the time of the latter rain. Literally means, ask God for rain in the season of spring rain. In other words, God is calling us to ask for more rain in the middle of a downpour. Another way of saying it is, he's asking us to, he's calling us to ask for more revival in the middle of a move of God. Now, whenever you look at rain or water in the Bible, it's symbolic of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. He who believes in me out of his spirit, out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. John chapter 2, verse 28, In the last days I will pour out my spirit. I remember many years ago when I was full-time itinerant, travel 47 weeks a year, and uh, my journeys and travels took me to a little regional country town called Nil, and uh, regional Victoria. You know why they call it Nil? Because nothing's there. Except an ACC church. Very powerful one. And... uh, I, I, I was preaching at Harvest Church in Horsham, an amazing church, and uh, I was driven to their campus at Mill. And uh, we get there, I'm in worship, there's about 50 people there, this is years ago. And I'm in worship, and the Lord says, I want you to tell them the spring rains are coming. And I'm thinking, you know, spiritually, metaphorically. He's like, no, uh, I want to pour out rain upon the land. And I leaned over the pastor at the time and I said, have you guys had a drought? What's going on? He says, we've been in drought for two years. And we get up and obviously we've tested these words over many years. And I began to prophesy the spring rains were coming. And, and it was several months before spring anyway. in springtime came and the drought broke and the rains came. I came back 12 months later and now the place was packed with farmers. And I'm like, this church has just tripled overnight. What the heck has happened? They said, well, word got out about the prophecy about the spring rains and all the farmers are here to get a new prophecy for the next harvest season. I'm here to tell somebody there is always more in God. I'm here to tell somebody Ephesians 3.20, now to him who is able to do exceeding and abundantly above all that you could ever ask, think or imagine. There is always more in God. And what can happen is, is as we go on the journey and we attend the conference and buy the t-shirt and get the book signed by Pastor Wayne Elcorn tonight, make sure you do that, we can begin to think that we've seen it all and we've had all the experience that there is, but you need to know there is always more in God. You know, the root word for the phrase exceeding and abundantly is the word hooper. It means beyond all scope or comprehension. So no matter what you ask God for, no matter what you can imagine in prayer, God can exceed it beyond all scope or comprehension. King Solomon is there. He's asking God for wisdom, a good thing, to lead God's people, to govern God's people. And the Bible says in 1 Kings 3.13, I give you also what you have not asked for. I give you wealth and riches and honor and life. In other words, God would say, you can have more if you want it. You can ask for more rain in the middle of a downpour. The gospel say, ask and you shall receive. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open. You have not, James says, because you ask not. You know, the history books record that the number one prerequisite for revival is faith-filled prayer. We heard it last night. I've discovered as I... have on this journey if we don't pray God won't move not because he can't but because he's chosen to limit his intervention to our intercession he's sovereign yes but he calls us into a co-laboring partnership many of us would have heard of the revivalist Charles Finney such a in fact some would say one of the greatest revivalists of you know sort of the modern era of the last 200-300 years and he uh, was baptized in the Holy Spirit. He describes his encounter of like liquid waves of lava just pouring through his body. He was so moved it so transformed him and changed him that the story is told that he would be on a train and go through towns. And as he, the train would go through the towns, there were documented reports of people falling to their knees in conviction and confessing their sin. Turned up to a factory one day. He looked at a factory worker such was the blazing fire and conviction in his eyes. She fell to her knees and began to repent. The owner of the factory had to shut the factory down. Such was the move of God taking place for the next four hours. Charles Finney had a revival meeting in that factory. Many of us have heard of Charles Finney, but many of us haven't heard of a man by the name of uh, Daniel Nash. Daniel Nash was Charles Finney's intercessor. And Daniel Nash would go ahead to the towns and the cities and the villages. Long before Charles Finney would get there, he would book himself into a hotel of sorts and he would pray and he would seek God until there was breakthrough. And as he prayed, he would lay the ground for Charles Finney to come and begin to move in signs and wonders. You see, we lead in a generation of believers who pray once and when it doesn't work the first time, say, prayer doesn't work anymore. They read the Bible once and say, well, it didn't work for me. I'm not really into reading the Bible. They tithe once I tried tithing once. I didn't get the breakthrough. But whatever happened, to pray until the breakthrough. Read and study until illumination. Tithe. Hmm. <laughs> circle of doom. And give and honor God until you see the breakthrough. What did Jesus say in Acts chapter one? Wait in Jerusalem until you receive power from on high. I'm so glad that one of our founding fathers, C.O. Greenwood, he spent nine years in a prayer meeting in his house. Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night, for nine years before the sunshine revival broke out. You and I are the benefactors of a man and others like him in his generation who refused to give up until rain started to come on this great south land of the Holy Spirit. You know, a recent study of global pandemics has actually been done and they've looked at pandemics throughout history and what they've discovered that in the, th- the three to five years post the global pandemic there is this resurgence in spirituality there is this resurgence in an openness to faith conversations can i suggest to you today we are in a god-appointed window where we need to ask for aid in the season of rain there are two dimensions of time in the Bible, there is chronos time the ticking of the clock and the turning of the calendar, but then there is kairos time, there is the God appointed window of opportunity, please in this season, let us not simply be caught with our calendar year and the ticking of the clock and the turning of the calendar, we need to come into agreement with the kairos word of Isaiah 43:19. behold I am doing a new thing, now it springs forth, do you not perceive it see tragically and unfortunately many leaders would rather be an expert in the old thing rather than a novice in the new thing we'd rather try and be experts in what once was praise god for it but if god's doing a new thing we're going to stoop in low and become like little children Jesus said, unless you become like a little child, unless you humble yourself like a little child, you're not going to be able to access the things of the kingdom of God. The Pharisees spent their lives studying God's word. They would memorize the Torah. But when the word became flesh and dwelt amongst them and walked past them, they missed the move of God because they wanted to be experts in the old move rather than the new move. <coughs> God never asked us to evaluate him, to critique him. He asked us to come like little kids and experience him. What did the prophet say in verse 1? He said, Not only ask for rain, he said, It's the Lord who makes the storm clouds. I've discovered, like you have, revival, the move of God is a partnership between God's sovereignty and our prayerful preparation. You know, there are some who suggest that. Revival is not a Bible word or a concept. I'm not sure which book you're reading, but Dr. Zeus maybe, but I, I, I'm not sure. I don't think the Holy Scriptures, the canon of Revelation is like choose your own adventure and you can just read into it whatever you think is there. But, but revival or revive or its various variety of derivatives and expressions in the Old Testament is mentioned 15 times. Could I suggest to you that the New Testament outpouring of the Holy Spirit on Acts 2 is the prototype revival that actually every other historical revival the last 2,000 years is based upon. And then we read in Revelation chapter 2 where, where Jesus calls the church in Ephesus back to their first love. He's calling them back to be renewed, revived, realigned, back to the Father's heart. That word revive means to be quickened, to be made alive. Who in this room has been made alive with Christ? You've been revived. You were dead in your spirit. You were dead in sin, but you've been born again. You've hopefully been baptised. If you haven't, you will by the end of tonight. You've been made alive in Christ Jesus. The word revive means to bring back into use after decline. You know, historically, revival has been preceded by spiritual apathy and moral bankruptcy, both in the world and in the church. And so, to counteract spiritual decline, to create spiritual momentum, God stirs a hunger in His people. He stirs people to pray, to get down on their knees, to humble themselves. When, when, when that word came, if my people, 2 Chronicles seven fourteen, will humble themselves and pray. He didn't say he would heal the land if sinners repent. He said he would heal the land if saints would pray and if saints would humble themselves. And so God starts to stir a hunger in his church. Will you not revive us again in our generation? Too many of us blame lack when it comes to the move of God. Miracles, a lack of miracles. We blame the lack of the sovereignty of God. We excuse ourselves from our responsibility. But God's sovereignty won't do for you what his spirit has commissioned your faith to do. Mark chapter 9, we read where a father brings his tormented boy to the disciples, brought him to the conference. They couldn't minister healing and freedom to the boy. Jesus comes down from Mount Transfiguration, sees a dispute, And comes down and says, what's going on? The father says, well, I I brought a need to the church, but they couldn't meet it. Brought a need to the conference, but it didn't get met. And Jesus said, oh, faithless generation, bring the boy to me. He ministers healing and freedom. And in the green room at the end of the conference, the disciples get Jesus aside and say, why the lack? Why couldn't we cast the demon out of the boy? And Jesus said, well, there are some problems, there's some demons, there's some challenges that actually require the sacrifice of prayer and fasting. Can I suggest you never allow your lap to become the measuring stick for somebody else's hunger and experience of God. Many of us, because we've never experienced a supernatural miracle, or we haven't seen, a, a, a I guess, a, a revival of sorts or a move of God, we don't have a paradigm for it. We don't have exposure to it. So, so what we do is we minimise other people's hunger for it and we minimise other people's experience. But you don't know what that person went through to, to in their family and in the abuse in their upbringing and what they've gone through in hospitals. So don't rain on their parade when they're so excited more than you that they just got healed and they just had an encounter with God. What does Psalm 110 verse 3 say? It says your people will offer themselves freely in the day of your power. How many of us know the day of God's power is determined by God's sovereignty but us offering ourselves freely is determined by us. The prophet goes on and says God will, not might, not maybe, God will give them showers of rain. If you ask for it, He's not an abusive father. He's not going to encourage us to do something if he doesn't intend to pour it out. He's not going to invite you to actually have a seat at the table and believe to feast at the banquet table if he doesn't have a seat for you. God will, the prophet said, give them showers of rain. In other words, revival will come to those who hunger for God until Drought breaks. We heard this morning about hunger and its importance. I think too many of us are actually content to build a great church, but we're not hungry for a move of God. And the two are fundamentally different. You can be a part of and lead a good church, a great church, and that's a great start, it's a good start, but there's a fundamental difference between an anointed meeting and a move of God. Fundamental difference between being a part of a great church and being in the middle of a revival. And often we're not hungering for it for a few things. One, the fear of man. Two, revival is messy. Proverbs 14.4 is my favourite verse of scripture on revival. It says, where there are no oxen, the manger is clean, but abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. You see, we want God to move on our terms. We want it sanitised. We don't want it to offend anybody hey, we need to honour God's presence for him to move on his terms more than people's approval of what they think it should look like or how it should work. And I've discovered that for many leaders that I've had conversations with that are trying to hide away the manifestation of the Spirit because they're worried about unbelievers thinking we're weird, the unbelievers coming to our church expect it to be weird. They expect God to do something. And we're trying to sanitise it and chuck the move of God into that weird connect group so it's all away from everybody else and yet the bible says in first corinthians 11 the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good in other words when the holy spirit manifests in power it is a revelation of god's goodness his nature and his love and his power in the earth the only church was not worried about the manifestation of the spirit In fact, on the day of Pentecost, they were mocked and accused of being drunk. It didn't stop 3,000 souls coming into the church on the day of Pentecost. It isn't a real move of God unless there's mockery. It isn't a real move of God unless there's someone criticising. Trying to rain on the parade and pull it down. Since when did you think God asked you to be a good, outstanding citizen in society that gets everybody's approval? Oh no, the church of Jesus Christ is supposed to be the most radical, the most on point, the most faith-filled, the most miraculous, the most signs and wonders church, group of people that there is on the planet. We've become so sanitized, we've forgotten our roots. Do you know what we were baptized in? What we were born into? Our, fore, our forefathers, our founding fathers was criticized, maligned. All sorts of things. It didn't stop them because they had a when you taste and see that he is good. Your appetite is ruined for everything else. On the day we saw the Spirit of God move, us like we're ruined. I was like. I have lost control of this church. And God said, good, finally. I'm like, we have lost total control here. And the Lord's like, well, do you want to go back or do you want to move forward? I was like, Lord, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Some of us get real nervous about revival because of potential excess. But you studied the history books, No revival has ever ended because of excess, but because of man-made control. John Wesley, the great revivalist in the awakening, said this, God, give us revival without its defects. But if we can't have revival without its defects, just give us revival. I think what we should be more concerned about is a loss of hunger in the church. I'm like a heat sinking missile right now in our church. At the moment I just see the spiritual temperature drop by two degrees. It's like we're on it. Prayer goes back up. Everything, what is going on here? The first sign of the morbidly sick, years ago, 25 years ago, I was in the police force and I attended a lot of crime scenes and saw people dying in their final moments. I worked in a hospital before that with car accident victims and many of them I was there in their final moments. And and we know as we heard this morning from Pastor Ali, the first sign of the morbidly sick is that they lose their hunger. They lose their appetite. I watched my own 59-year-old mother pass away prematurely over six weeks, was preaching at a pastor's conference in Darwin. And and, uh, six weeks later was dead as I watched her breathe her final breaths literally last three or four weeks before she passed away. Her appetite completely went she lost her hunger the first sign of a morbidly sick believer is they lose their hunger for the presence of God this is why we love everyone but I will never listen to a complacent apathetic believer tell me what God is or isn't doing in the earth right now and the reason is is because apathy distorts our view of God zeal for your house has consumed me When you get a zeal for the father's house, you do whatever you need to do to host the presence of God. And God will often move in ways that offend our minds to reveal the apathy that is in our hearts. Just ask the Syrophoenician woman when she asked Jesus to heal her daughter. And Jesus was totally politically incorrect. Not PC at all. He said it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. If Jesus said that today on social media, he would be cancelled. But he wasn't trying to be offensive. He was testing her faith. And she responded so well, yes, master, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And Jesus is like, I like that faith. Your daughter is healed. Hunger looks past offence. Whatever you want from God is on the other side of your offence. And the moment we allow that offence to block us in our walk with God, we cut off the supply line of the Spirit to our life. That river of living water stops flowing in our life. Proverbs 27, 7 says, One who is full loathes honey, but to one who is hungry, everything bitter is sweet. Have you ever been so hungry that you're like, Just whatever they put in front of you, you eat. Most of us probably haven't had that experience. I remember being a little kid at my grandparents' house and I was hungry, Been playing out in the backyard all afternoon and I went inside and went to my grandfather and said, hey, Pop, do you have some chocolate? And he's like, why do you want chocolate? Well, I'm hungry, I'm starving, you got some chocolate? Well, there's some fruit in the kitchen. Yeah, but I want some chocolate. And and, and you go, well, there's a piece of bread there and and they usually had stale bread. So I'm like, no, I want chocolate. And then he'd proceed to tell me a World War II story where he would march for 72 hours through the jungles of Papua New Guinea, back to base camp, true story. And he'd get there and he said, when you're that hungry, you'll eat whatever they put in front of you, even spam. And so now I've got the condemnation of the enemy upon me and I just crawl to the kitchen and I get the stale piece of bread. Yes, you're so right. If you're really hungry, you'll eat anything. You know, the amazing thing about hunger, it doesn't require giftedness or anointing. You don't need to be a talented worship leader. You don't need to be an amazing hip-hop artist like Blake. You don't need to be a great preacher. You just need desire. You need an insatiable desire inside of you. God is no respecter of persons. He's a responder to the hungry heart. Catherine Coleman had the privilege of praying in the room where her pulpit was late last year. And Catherine Coleman, the great healing evangelist, she says this, I was born without talent. And one day I said, wonderful Jesus, I don't have a thing. But if you can take nothing and use it, here's nothing. All I can give you is my love and the rest is history. As hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people were impacted by her ministry, I was talking to a pastor friend of mine recently up here in Queensland. He was sharing how in the latter days of her life, he was at one of her meetings and he went to one of his, uh, her handlers and her armor bearers and said, what's the secret to Catherine Coolman's ministry And That armor bearer looked at him and thought, well, it's not necessarily her prayer life because she prays as much as anybody else I know. It's not necessarily her word life because she studies the Bible as much as anybody else I know. But there is something. It's her ability to totally yield to the Holy Spirit, to utterly be taken over by the presence of an almighty God. Isaiah 44, 33 says, God only promises to pour water on the thirsty land and the streams on the dry ground. So God is saying, there's more if you want to ask for rain in the season of rain. I will give showers of rain to those who are hungry. And then it concludes in this passage by saying, there will be grass, fruitfulness and vegetation for everyone in the field. In other words... God's saying there's enough revival rain to go around for everyone. There are two unhelpful responses to a move of God. For the onlookers, they can sort of get insecure and stiff arm the move of God and want nothing to do with it. Because, you know, why is it raining in my backyard? That's an unhelpful response. The other unhelpful response is for the participators in a move of God, and that is to develop a spirit of entitlement that thinks we are the only ones that God is working through. Both responses come from broken identity that is searching for significance. Let me tell you, if you've got a broken identity, a move of God won't necessarily help that in your church. You've got to go back to the water source. You've got to go back to the source of the Spirit and have your own encounter for your identity to renewed. If you can't be complete without it, you'll never be complete with it. And God is wanting us to come back and place our identity in the person of Jesus and his finished work on the cross and what God has already done in our lives. But what will guard our hearts from both unhelpful responses is a spirit, a heart of humility. Isaiah 57 15 says, I dwell with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly. Recently, I preached a message on pigeon religion where Jesus makes a whip of cords and he goes into the temple and he clears out those who sold pigeons. And as I was studying pigeons and doves, you discover pigeons and doves may look the same, but they have two very different natures. A pigeon is territorial. A pigeon will fight for its space, but a dove will not find. A dove will just fly higher and feed in the high places. We're going to ask the Holy Spirit to cut out of our hearts any pigeon religion that thinks that we are entitled, that we have a market share on the anointing just because God somehow is moving in our lives or insecurity is stopping us from actually... Stepping into what God is wanting to do. You see, as God begins to move in greater measure, we can begin to think we're entitled to his presence. And to be honest with you, in humility, it's actually embarrassing to hear some believers, whether it's online or in person, some leaders critique revival. And whether it's Asbury or in your backyard, as if they own the market share on a move of God. It's actually cringeworthy. It's embarrassing, but humility, stooping in low, will guard us against the spirit of entitlement that falsely believes we're the only ones that God could work through. We go down that road, we start to become like a cult. You know how you know you're not a cult? People can easily leave your church. We've had lots of experience in it. And that's the other thing about moves of God, that everyone's going to be happy. Churches have had moves of God in America and thousand people got up in a month and left and board members and people are like, I know it's God, but I just can't do this in my family. Last year, we visited one of our locations. We just planted in San Francisco and such a broken city and humble beginnings, but we went and hit the streets and Ministering to people, praying, prayer meetings, encouraging, and then we had the privilege of traveling to Azusa Street to go and see the early beginnings of the move of God that you and I are in this room because of today. We had a team and we went down to Azusa Street and we began to pray and start to have God encounters, began to minister to people. Azusa Street is haven't been there, it's a little laneway to shadow of what it was all those years ago where literally journalists would have to prepare blocks away to approach the Azusa Street Gospel Mission. And we went there, there's human excrement in the laneway, there's uh, 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 dodgy businesses around the old site of Azusa Street. It's all been replaced now. There's a little sign that says, 1906, the cradle of Pentecostalism. And as we're there ministering to people, there was a man who said, hey, you need to go around, one of the council workers, you need to go to Bonnie Bray House. Bonnie Bray House, I knew the history of that, didn't know you could go there. He said, actually, Bonnie Bray House is where Azusa Street started. (laughs) For those of you who know your history, it's where Papa William Seymour, the African-American man so hungry for God, got baptised in the Holy Spirit on the floorboards of Bonnie Bray House. The real move of God took place in Bonnie Bray House, but there were so many people at the prayer meeting that the front porch... Collapse, so they moved to Azusa Street. So we went to Bonnie Bray House and we didn't know you had to book in an appointment weeks in advance and everything's locked up and it's all restored on the outside but inside it's the original, it's heritage listed. And so we're there and we start to pray thinking no one's there and the front door opens and a grandmother, Hispanic grandmother pokes her head out of the door and says, after a few minutes of prayer says, do you want to come in? We said, absolutely. She said, I'm the custodian. I'm the caretaker. and I come here every morning and I read my Bible and I pray in preparation for those who've got bookings who will come in and tour Bonnie Ray House. She said, you didn't have a booking, did you? I said, no, I'm very sorry, man. We didn't. Uh, but we'd love to come in. She said, I wasn't going to let you in. And I was there praying. I know why you're here. And I said, Holy Spirit, I'm not letting them in. And Holy Spirit said, yes, you are. My favor is on them. We go in. And she starts to open in prayer before she tells us the story and 45 minutes later, we're weeping on our faces on the floorboards where William Seymour, the very site she looked at me and said, that site right there is where William Seymour got baptized in the Holy Spirit. Such was the presence of God that began to come upon us, we began to shake almost speechless such was the move of god that came upon us and i i'm there and it's raining and i heard the lord say ask her to lay hands on your head what was he saying you can have more if you want it and i said god would you get her to lay hands upon my head and in part she lived in that house before it was heritage listed for 20 years and she stewarded that space and environment the presence of god and as we got up to go in and see Catherine coleman's pulpit The Lord said, pull the money out of your pocket and give it to her as a seed. And I gave it to her. She grabbed my hands. I literally fell to my knees. She placed hands upon my head. And without us telling her anything about our church, she began to prophesy about what God is doing, what he's about to do across the earth. I was so shook up, so shaken. We went into the next room. And there was an Indian man who had made a booking. And so Mother Soul, her name is, let him in. And he came and he flew in from uh, India into LAX that day and he came straight to Bonnie Bray house in the cab, and he's there in the room with us and he's on his knees and he's crying out to God in his native tongue. I look at him. The Lord says, tell him I'm going to give him 10,000 souls. I begin to prophesy over him. he begins to sob and shake uncontrollably. We finish the tour of the house as we're leaving. He chases me out the front door. And he grabs me and he says, I flew all the way from India to come to Bonnie Bray House and ask God to give me 10,000 souls my ministry. He said, I'm getting in the cab. I'm going back to the airport. I got what I came for. I'm here to tell you tonight. You can have more if you want it. There is a revival that God is wanting to pour out across this land and I believe in an impartation of the spirit of faith. If you are hungry for this, get out from where you are. Get down the front right now and begin to cry out to God to pour out a spirit of revival upon your life A spirit of revival upon your church. A spirit of revival upon your ministry.